Hey guys, and welcome to Money Talks News, the podcast. This week, we're going to talk about alternative investments. If you're like me, stocks, bonds, and savings accounts make up the foundation of your savings. And that's a good thing. All three are important for a comfortable, secure retirement. But guess what? They're not the only game in town. As it happens, there are investments that don't involve any of that stuff, and they could be important. Alternative investments offer not just another way to make money, but maybe even a little spice in your life. Ready to add a little pizzazz to your portfolio? Let's do it. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacy. I am ready for a little spice in my life and some pizzazz in my it. portfolio. <laughs> we've got, and we've got not just one, but two special guests this week. Friend of the show, Pam Kruger from WealthRamp. Hello, Pam. Hello, Stacy. everybody. And Eric Olson from... Ar- <laughs> Arte. 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 Arte Wealth Advisors in Chicago. Arte. I love it. Hey, Stacey, thanks for having us. For you folks at home, I want you to know that uh, these guys have been making me say this over and over, and I couldn't do it. So I I, kind of did it right, didn't I? Yes. We'll give you credit for anything you did. Yes, you did. Yes. May, May I say, Eric, that you have the voice of a radio announcer. You really do sound like one. That's great. And you've got a podcast, which we're going to promote for you. Um, and I can see why you should. You should stay on the air. And you also are handsome as well. So that's why oh, you're also on YouTube. Wow. The flatter see, factor is really very high today, Stacey. See, Thank you so much. See how hey, I make friends? get a friends? rum. Get a rum. <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks. Before we start this podcast, remember, this is not financial advice. So make sure to do your own research. Consult your own experts before acting on anything that you learn here. Okay. Let's dive in. Eric, what the heck are alternative investments? Uh, that's a great question, Stacy. Do you remember when you were a kid, did you ever go to McDonald's and you, you either went for the vanilla or the chocolate shake? Remember those days? I worked at McDonald's when I was a kid. Even better. Well, for, for those of us who were big chocolate and vanilla fans, rotating over to the strawberry was a big adventure. So that's, that's sort of how it works in alternative investments as well. Most of us are accustomed to investing in either stocks through mutual funds or ETFs or directly through the stocks or bonds in the same framework or package. But when we venture outside those, that at the broadest level, we could call that alternatives. Well, I, I wonder if I have any. Is real estate an alternative investment? I'd say so. Okay. Can be. I, have, I have some real estate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Commodities um, would be a classic one. Real estate would be a classic one. Those were sort of the first ones to start filtering their way into position, uh, filtering their way into people's portfolios as they just decided they'd broaden them out. But it's grown a lot from there, and there's, it's a big world. So can you can you just list a bunch of alternative investments off the top of your head? Sure. So a common one would be private equity investments into middle market businesses. A big one is real estate, commercial real estate. So you can have office buildings, warehouses, storage units, multifamily. Uh, there's also investments into now is we've talked about, um, you know, on with Pam, crypto and uh, NFTs and things of that nature, wine, art. So it's wow. uh, as much as yeah. your mind can imagine, if something has value attached to it by some group of people, you probably have an alternative that's built around it. So um, Eric, I'm a guy with substantial resources. I'm older. I've got a big retirement plan and blah, 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 and stocks and bonds, mostly stocks, actually, and a lot of uh, uh, money market funds. Where would you, what would you advise me to do in terms of alternative investments? Or who, who's the right customer for this? Is it just rich people? Is it everybody? And, and what, what kind of investments would I be looking at? 
Well, first of all, are we using this as uh, the hypothetical you, or are we speaking to you specifically? The, everything is about me specifically, Eric. Every, all right. Every it's single thing that Stacey. ever happens is it. about helping Stacy <laughs> make, make Stacy rich. Well, first of all, I will say it's not necessarily the case that uh, anyone needs to have alternatives in their portfolio. I, I mean that. It, it's it, it, For some people, it's just not the right decision. And I, I guess I would just highlight that fact for all of our, you know, for our listeners here is don't take the fact that we're having this conversation and I'll probably have some enthusiasm about the role that alternatives can play as necessarily a recommendation that everyone should have them. In many cases, it's just not the right, it's not the right solution or mix for them. But is it for only, is it only for rich people? <clears throat> well, there's two ways of answering that. One is to say not in principle, but uh, yes, oftentimes in fact. And the reason for the, the latter is that the regulatory um, environment in which we live oftentimes limits some of these to people that are deemed to be accredited investors. So there's a simple answer. What, what's let's an accredited investor? I was going to say, let's, let's talk about accredited <laughs> yeah. investors. You're sure. Okay, well, the simple, the federal government has said uh, some of these things take a little bit more sophistication because they have a different pattern of risk to them. And so in order to have some filtering mechanism to, to uh, I guess at some level, perhaps the federal government to absolve itself of some responsibility of oversight in this says, if you have at least a million dollars of assets beyond your personal residence, then you are deemed to be sufficiently sophisticated to take this sort of risk, of course, in judiciously, um, judiciously entered into. There's an income test. I won't bore you with the details, but it's essentially, it's essentially that where they're saying this isn't for everyone. But that 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 said, there are many alternatives which can be for um, incorporated into the portfolios of people who are not alternate. Um, pardon me, accredited investors, and they can play a useful role. Okay, and and it, I, I'll, I'll say what the numbers are if I'm right. It, it used <laughs> my cat's tails in the middle. Um, there it used to be. $200,000 of income and a million dollar yeah. net worth. Is that right? Yeah. For a single filer, $200,000 of adjusted gross income on the past two count, um, tax years and then expected to be the same in the current one. Uh, for married couples filing jointly, it's three hundred. Okay. So, but, but. Alternative investments are not just or just for accredited investors. They're, they're also for any number of investors. So let, give me an example. Give me something I can sink my teeth into here. Uh, okay, so I come to you and I say, Eric, I've got a bunch of bonds and I've got a bunch of stocks. I want some, I want some alternative investments. What would you suggest? Well, I'll, I'll use an example of something that um, is past and done and is an example of something that's a little different. Um, and not every not every opportunity would be like this, but we were approached at one point by a, a fellow who had purchased 50 acres of prime Napa Valley farmland and had gone to University of California, Davis, consulted with them about what grapes to grow well with the soil and such that he had, and then wanted to build actually a winery to process all of that. So he thought, let's raise some funds to build this winery and then what we'll do is we'll have a contractually stipulated return for the investors. In that case, it was a five or six year deal at a stipulated 15% internal rate of return. That seems like something that's simple enough that you can you can enter, enter into. But is that, is that not everything equity? has those guarantees. Is or, that an example of private equity? That would be. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So, so you put deals like that together. <clears throat> Uh, sometimes we, we find them, we're approached by sponsors that say, Hey, we've got this deal. In other cases, we'll, we'll take a little more active role to seek, you know, 
because people know that we do that sort of thing. That's interesting. I like that idea. I, yeah. I may have to work with you. <laughs> but I've thought about, you know, because even as we speak, you know, I've got a lot of money in the stock market, but mm -hmm. I, I'm feeling like the stock market may not be a great place to be for the next year. I'll, I'll always have money in the stock market, but were I to make an investment today, I probably would look outside the stock market. Um, because I've got a lot in cash and I've got a lot in stocks already. So this mm -hmm. sounds like something. And now that what you just described, the deal, the specific deal you just described, um, that, that would be for an accredited investor only? In that case, it was. Yeah. Okay. Now, what, what, about, what about the average person? What, what about a person who, who doesn't have a million dollars or, or $200,000 income? What, what about that? Who, what would you suggest for someone like that? Well, I, I have some ideas, but I will also say that, unfortunately, that category, the, the categories that the federal government has permitted people who are not accredited investors to invest in oftentimes have been, their, their stories have been marred by a lot of, I would say, shady people who made uh, much, much too much, or took on way too much risk in products that people couldn't get out of. And so for that reason, I, I have a something of a jaded view of the things that are available for non-accredited investors. I'm not saying that you can't find you know anything that's worthwhile, but I, I think you have to be very, very careful about it. So Pam, I know you've given some thought to this. Yeah, I mean, the for me, for talking to the people who come to me and we have these discussions, it's it really comes down to, you think you want an alternative, Stacey, and I can see why. Because everything that was just laid out sounds pretty sexy. It sounds like, yeah. you know, you can invest in anything from gold to your daughter's startup. Uh, everything in between, artwork, everything. Problem is that for people who are not sophisticated and don't have enough money to recover from a big loss should something happen, like crypto, like FTX, what happens is these investments operate sort of in a black box which means that getting price transparency, valuations, it's really, really hard to get accurate information on tap. So let's just say that you're an investor who's itchy and you're just not, you're not happy with the stock market right now. And you're like, give me anything but the stock market. Really? Do you really mean that? Because if you don't like the stock market and its ups and downs and its long-term nature, you're going to hate alternatives. Because alternatives, nobody says this, but the truth is, they're long-term investments, Stacey. Well, sure, I was thinking of that. They're illiquid. And, and, and for those of you right. who are uninitiated out there, it means it's hard to turn them back into cash. Like, like when you buy a house. I mean, you know, it's a it's relatively right. liquid investment. And it's these right. even so more so, probably. Right. So don't kid yourself if you're thinking that, you know, just an easy fix to your portfolio is going to be to take 25% of the money that you have in your stocks and divert it over to these alternative categories that sound really hot, the promoters are talking about. Um, you think you're going to get a better sense of control over your portfolio by doing that, by creating maybe a hedge or something, but there's no guarantee it's a hedge number one. We know crypto certainly wasn't or isn't. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be an alternative investment and you're not though, right? Gonna get, of course, and, and you're not going to get a sense of greater control. So if you're looking for more control and you're looking for um, you know, making sure that you're doing something that you can see uh, its alternatives may not be for you. So alternatives wind up really working well for me in my experience, and Eric knows better, but I see people with portfolios um, of maybe 3 million and up. And then, you know, when they get into the real high, high end, 
uh, high net worth, some diversification. But again, we're talking about small bets because in these cases, these are, I, I hate to call them that, you can argue with me, but they're bets, they're speculation. No, okay, but here's here's the thing. I think that there's there are alternative investments out there today that you can only you only need to put in five hundred bucks. And, and and before I want you, I don't want to get your opinion on that, both of you guys. But before you do that, let me, let me take a quick break. We're halfway through the show. We're going to be right back, folks, and then we're going to talk about uh, alternative investments that you might be able to make no matter how little money you have. Uh, we'll be right back right after this. Okay, we are back. Uh, we're going to look at some other stuff. Before we start, though, if you appreciate what we're doing here, folks, do something for us. Share the show with your friends, family, on your favorite social media platforms, and, of course, subscribe to our podcast. Okay, enough of the commercial. Now, what I promised was I was going to talk about alternative investments that don't require a lot of money up front. And I want you to give your opinion. You guys have seen these all the time. Fundrise, I think, is one of them, right? It invests in commercial real estate. There's one for art. Uh, what what is it called, Miranda? Masterworks, Masterworks, Masterworks. IO, and then and you said also... you mentioned one with wine one time. Yes, there's a there's a wine one as well, and I'm trying to remember what it is because I actually am in that one. You're in it. <laughs> I like wine. I know. <laughs> like, I can tell you. It's like fine. Wine. It's fine. A uh, vino vest. Uh, so, so yeah, and but I think it's important. Kind of what we were talking about earlier uh, before is to be very mindful of what Pam was talking about. Know your risk tolerance. Know your problem. Get, you, you could potentially lose your money. And I personally like to, if I'm going to invest in an alternative, I limit that to five to 10% of my portfolio. And it's there what I go. kind of consider the fun money. So if you're going to do Bingo. this, you can, yeah, you can have a good time. You can look for a little extra uh, fun, but make sure you're limiting your exposure and keep that to five to no more than five. To, and that's your total. I don't want but you to I, do five percent crypto, five percent wine, five percent real. No, no, no. Limit, limit your your total to five to really. 5 that to 10% seems low to me. Yeah. Well, er, yeah. Okay, Eric, he's he's okay. our expert. That's well, why he's is, here. Well, this is yeah. It, well, this is me being really. If you agree, have a very low agree. risk tolerance, well, didn't you, it depend, you, you guys, on what thing. kind of investment you're talking about? I mean, crypto is one thing, and and buying a rental property is something else. This is I mean, true. Yeah, well, I mean, my point <laughs> being, along the risk risk spectrum, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, you guys are saying no, minimum. Maximum five percent. Everything yeah. along the spectrum, just like you're saying. Keep in mind, women make better long-term investors than men. Just saying, Miranda. <laughs> it's I'm true. Here. It's just true. Saying. The 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 studies have been done. Oh, fine. <laughs> you think I'm going to you think I'm going to say here. anything negative about women on this podcast? That's <laughs> not going to occur. Don't try to bait me. It's not going to happen. Yes, women are smarter than men. They're better looking. They're taller. Whatever you want to say, I'm going to agree. <laughs> So, Eric, Eric, let's go back to you, though. Even yeah. though you're not a woman, let me ask you, <laughs> is 5% the max? I said 5 to 10%, yeah. depending. Yeah, I guess I would take a little bit more fluid approach to answering that um, in terms of the aggregate limit. There are some investors where, precisely as you said a few minutes ago, Stacey, that the nature of the alternative investment is... Um, you need to understand the underlying character characteristics of that particular alternative investment. Something that's, as you pointed out, real estate may have less susceptibility to just poof disappearing yeah. as something else might. So, but oh, I generally, my cat in the background if you want to see. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I generally have this counsel to clients, and that is, don't let's not allocate any more than two percent. Of your of, of your overall investable assets to any one any one deal. The reason being, if it does blow up 
and some will. That you just sort of should assume that if you invest in 10 things, a couple are going to go really sideways. A couple will disappoint. A couple will work out like you thought. A couple will pleasantly surprise you, and maybe one or two will actually be a home run. But it's it's the it's the total of all of those outcomes that you're trying to you're trying to achieve. So don't let one just come, don't bet the farm on one and then wind up with the inability to really progress towards your financial goals because of that overcommitment. Okay. Second question. I just mentioned these things, Fundrise and you know the mm-hmm. art one and everything. You didn't mention those. Well, it's true. Do, do, and do you not I mean like these are you know investments for the rest of us, but you didn't yeah. mention them. How come? No, I and I'll I'll mention a few you've mentioned that one. And generally speaking, I maybe I over I'm overly cautious. I refrain from referencing certain things, but you, you know, this is your show, not mine. So uh, on that basis, I would say yes, that's a good example of one where you don't have to be an accredited investor to to allocate a portion of your portfolio. And you can do that in very limited and uh, in very limited amounts. So I think that makes sense. I'll also mention they're not always illiquid. So there are some, I would say, even some mutual funds and some exchange traded funds that you can use that do indeed use under underneath hedging like strategies. There are market neutral funds, there's arbitrage funds, there and there's you know long short funds. There's a lot of different approaches that um, whether they're packages, mutual funds or exchange traded funds, they're meant to provide that diversification element that um, that oftentimes is what we're seeking in direct investments uh, into these other alternative investments. You know, this reminds me of, and Pam will remember this too, back in the day, limited partnerships were a big deal. I worked at EF Hutton, which became Shearson. Mm -hmm. Um, And Pam, you worked for Merrill Lynch, I think, right? No, it was Dean Witter. Dean Witter. I I won trips to Mexico, Mm -hmm. luxury vacations from, you know, quote, unquote, again, we're back to the selling the selling of these things versus the advice piece of it. So yeah, we we were promoting they, and selling. Yeah, they had big fees. Yeah. That this was this was going to be the point I, I was making. That's how I went to Mexico. Huge <laughs> fees, huge fees. Yeah, me too. Uh, and so th- they made a lot of money for the companies. And, and I, I was wondering, Eric, the reason I mentioned that is mm-hmm. because I was wondering if maybe you know these ones that are packaged for plebeians, you know the the, the you know the five hundred dollar investment into commercial mm-hmm. real estate kind of thing. Did they have giant fees? I'm not mentioning a specific thing, so I don't want to put you in a regulatory problem here. But in general, (laughs) will, will some of these direct investments have really high fees? Well, first, let me just acknowledge that I haven't spent time looking through the um, private placement memorandum or other sorts of um, disclosure documents that a lot of these different things will have. But I know that one of the arguments has been since we're stripping out a lot of the intermediaries in this process, we are able on that basis to allow more of the dollar that you put with us to actually be going straight into that investment and not, you know, feeding layers and layers of the distribution system. I think, you know, I'm just as much in some ways a critic of alternative investments as I am an advocate and there's room for criticism. And, but over time, I'm glad to, I'm, you know, happy to report. I think what we're seeing is pressure on the part of fiduciaries who say we, our clients want, our clients want access to these alternatives as well. We don't, we don't want them to be laden with commission. So how can you offer us something that is, you know, obviously reasonably compensating the people that are putting it together, but not just <clears throat> layers and layers and layers of, of commission-based compensation. And so um, I'm, you know, it's, it's a little early, but you're starting to see now some devices that are 
um, solving some of the overall risks that we've been talking about by aggregating, let's say, 40 or 50 different projects into a single fund and having that be ro a rolling fund. So some are rolling off as some are coming into oh, that play. Oh, like a good idea. Yeah, isn't that? Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. The, you know, I might just add here, and, and Eric, I think you will probably agree with this, <clears throat> but even if they are liquid, even if they're funds with total price transparency, uh, mm -hmm. these are still investments that in your mind, as you're looking at your time horizon, you know, they're like stocks, they're for growth, right? They're for appreciation. So they are designed for the long term. And here's the problem I have. <clears throat> when you look at the continuum of these offerings from the ones that are most seen and heard about gold funds, for example, Vanguard, you know, Delta, whatever it might be, all the way out to the really private exclusive deals. <clears throat> when you get out to those private exclusive deals, those are the ones that have the least transparency. And they're the black boxes. And they're the ones that sound like you're so lucky, Stacey that I'm inviting yeah. you into this deal because you're one of a chosen few and you lose your mind and you stop thinking about, you know, the fact that you're not going to be able to know what it's really worth. And then here's my other big problem. How much are you dude, the promoter? I don't mean managing the fund itself. How much are you getting paid to promote this deal? So advisors yeah. in my wealth ramp network, they cannot be compensated on the back end, especially on private placements for real estate. Because then they are no longer objective. They are no longer working for you. They're working for that fund and their promoters. They're not advisors. That's why I say it's so serious of an issue for people. If they are going to seek out professional advice, you've got to understand how they're getting paid, who they are, and what they know about these things and what their, what their skin in the game is. Yeah, that didn't occur to me because when I was just talking about those limited partnerships that we used to peddle when we were stockbrokers, um, we, there was a big commission in there for us. Huge. But in, when, when it's a venture capital or a private equity investment, like we're talking about here with Eric, and he's, and he's in your network, in other words, he, he's a fiduciary, uh, does, not t does not collect commissions. So th these, these things, these, these um, investments, they, they don't pay him a commission to bring people in? Correct. Okay. So, so that, that's um, a lot more money than for the investor. They will. Other advisors will, Stacey. It's very confusing. You've got yeah. fiduciary advisors who, who wear the hat of, I am a fiduciary independent advisor. I'm not attached to a brokerage firm. And you're going to assume, and you don't want to assume it, that that advisor is not getting a take on the back end for promoting the private real estate deal. You, I, I have to vet the advisor. I have to know that that advisor and that firm are not benefiting from that cozy relationship because they need to work for you, not for them. You know, this is a good thing. And a little off our topic today, but let, let, let's stop there for a second, oh, uh, Pam, because uh, I, I want people to understand this. Um, everyone calls himself a fiduciary now. Not everyone. Obviously, there's still traditional commission-based uh, brokerage or uh, financial advisors. But when, when I see the word fiduciary, can I automatically assume that I'm getting the perfect advice, or not perfect advice, but honest advice uh, that's putting my interest no, before theirs? No. Why not? No, Why not? And no. Well, <laughs> it's the same thing as I want to build a little office in my backyard. Can I assume that every contractor that's licensed is going to be looking out for my best interest? No. There's just this huge uh, area of gray area. These are not doctors. These are not lawyers. They're not held to that standard. 
So this is not a profession. Financial advice industry is an industry. So you have to buyer beware of the whole thing. So yeah, they, anybody can say they're a fiduciary, anybody. But, but if they are a fiduciary, they are held to a higher standard. If they're legally, if they're legally, and they have to put that in writing, watch how many won't put it in writing, Stacey. Once oh, you so, have that the, so in other words, if that fiduciary says, I'm not going to put it in writing, but you can trust me, I'm a fiduciary. You, 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 right. you, turn, you turn and walk the other way. They're lying. They turn tail, turn tail. Or they could be lying anyway. Well, it's stupid. So, it's put it in writing. Miranda, I'm so sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Miranda. That's okay. There's just something that I think we really need to address when we were talking about, you know, looking at how these people are making their money, looking at promoters. There's something that we really need to look at, and that is where you are getting your information online. One of the biggest things when we're talking about crypto and we're talking about the implosion, explosion, whatever of FTX is those guys, there were people online, trusted financial content people who were getting paid to promote FTX. Mm. Some of them were making... Some of the biggest ones were making $50,000 a month to promote FTX. Wow. And yeah. I think it's important to say it's not just about, okay, looking for an advisor. It's also saying, you know, we have these parasocial relationships yeah. online. Y'all probably have a parasocial. Well, we've seen your emails. We know that some of you have parasocial relationships with me and Stacy. And it's really important. Um, and Aaron, too. And it's Wait, really what important. kind of relationship? They're parasocial. Anyway, it, it basically means people, <laughs> they feel like they know you, right? They feel like they oh, okay. know you, like they, they can trust you, which... Which makes it a little bit tricky. And so a lot of these promoters were like, this is a sure thing. You can do this. It's trusted. It's whatever. And they're it's influencers. Really... Yes, they're influencers. influencers and promoters. And I think it's important to pay attention to that as well. And, you know, even, you know, yeah. there there is, you know, and it's it's hard because, you know, some of us are going to get a little bit of a commission if you click on an affiliate link. We'll oh, that's get... true. We'll get a bit of an. We'll get a bit of commission. So it's really important to look at that and say, okay, you know, where are we at on that? Um, one of the reasons why I fail so miserably at affiliate marketing is is because I'm like, well, here's an affiliate link, but um, whatever. <laughs> like, I, I'm very yeah, good at it because, because like it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm because, good at affiliate marketing because I have no soul. So, <laughs> let, let me be think, clear. I am I not to be trusted. Do not trust I me. I can't help you. I can't help you. <laughs> but I think it's, but I think it's, yeah, but I think it's, but I think it is important to take a look at that uh, and take these kinds of things with a grain of salt, especially if something's pumping, you know, pumping something up really, really huge. Yeah. But if the bottom line really, though, really, really into it. The, the bottom line here is for, in terms of this discussion, at least is Pam has gone out and, and found genuine fiduciaries mm -hmm. willing to put their, uh, you know, sign their John years. Hancock. And, and and built a company called WealthRamp, and Eric is one of those fiduciary advisors. So I just want to make sure everybody understands what the heck's going on here. So, mm -hmm. And that's why we trust Eric, and that's why we trust Pam. You know what? Let, let me stop here for a second, too. I should have done this at the outset of the show, and I didn't because I'm really good-looking but not very smart. Um, Eric, would you t give me a little bit about your background. How did you happen to be here today? How do you happen to know about alternative investments, blah, blah, blah? Sure. So, well, I've been helping clients with their retirement planning for about 18 years now, I think it is. And uh, as part of that journey, I became affiliated with a firm that has had a strong specialization in alternative investments to try to provide a better diversifier for the portfolios that clients would otherwise normally have. And so through that process of a lot of um, scar, uh, cigarette burns and scars, as well <laughs> as, you know, some wins, you, you get a, a exposure to what's out there and what can work and what can hurt you. 
So you're like, would you consider yourself like a specialist for alternative investments? Actually, Stacey, I would consider myself more a specialist in in tax smart retirement income planning with a, with a secondary focus on alternatives. Okay, cool. And then uh, now, now Pam has been with us several times before. But Pam, for those of those of our listeners who do not know who you are, would you mind telling us about you and, and WealthRamp real quick? Sure. My whole world is helping people take the choice of who they're going to get advice from much more seriously and thoughtfully, so that I connect people who are looking for advisors like Eric Erickson, my advisor network of WealthRamp. WealthRamp.com is where people come to thoughtfully connect and find the right vetted fiduciary, fee-only advisor that works for their circumstances. So my whole world is about educating people about advisors, what they do. <laughs> was that a cat? Yes, that was my fluffy cat just got in front of my camera. <laughs> so so my, my whole philosophy, as you know, is I, I really think people need to stop and, and take the choice, take the decision it has a lot of consequences. Who are you listening to guiding you if you are looking for an advisor? You don't go anywhere but me. I'm the gatekeeper. And you are a formal financial advisor as well. Yeah, I started when I was 24 years old. And then I got into television when yeah, I was- th This uh, is funny. We have the exact same background. Yeah, we know. met. We both did television news. We both were, and, and yeah. I got into that business, uh, the financial advisory business, when I was 24 years old. Yeah, and, and so yeah, we, we both we both have done this for thirty years. We both are better looking now than we were then. It's, it's astounding. Yeah, I but think here we, we both, are. I think we both kind of got the idea that the broker model and the advice model are two different things. I left that world of of the broker model and the sales sort of machine to work with advisors like Eric, who are advisors and not working at brokerage firms or insurance companies. And now you know what, you guys, we're out of time. It's astounding. Before we leave, though, we have we are right at thirty minutes, but I have to ask Eric a couple of things, really, really quick. How do you feel about gold? I have some gold. How do you feel about it? Um, I will say rather than how I feel about it, how I'm implementing it. So, uh, insofar as I run algorithmic models, the models at times have shown historically that gold works well in certain environments, and we're in one of those environments right now. It's not doing so, crap. I mean, it's not doing squat. It's not doing anything. That's true. And sometimes it won't, but you you'd have to sit and, I, I, in my view, you take the long view and you say, in environments like these, does it generally work better than other things? And I think the answer is yes. So we have nice. not a giant allocation, but a very, okay. you know, it's, a, it's in portfolios. Okay. Now, next question. Crypto, is it going to zero? Is this it? Is it blowing up? What do you think? Uh, I, well, what I think and what will happen may be two vastly different things, but uh, the, crypto has gone through cycle after cycle of big increases and then an 80% drop and then big increases and then another 80% drop. And I believe this is just in line largely with that, with that sort of pattern. I, I'm not, by the way, dismissive of some of the, um, uh, the really terrible things that have happened to investors in that space. And particularly, you know, we were mentioning the brokerage here just a few minutes ago, but um, I, I don't think it's going away uh, in part because of the technology underneath it has so many applications. I, yeah. I, I think it's here to stay. It's just, you, you have to, again, be very, very careful about how you use it. Yeah. And very tiny allocation. 
Okay, guys, I'm afraid we are out of time, but you know what? We are never out of topic. So dig a little deeper. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. And of course, you want to visit Pam at wealthramp.com. And of course, oh, Eric has a show. That's why I'm going to promote his show. He has he has a podcast, which is also uh, on YouTube, and it is called Retirement Lifestyle. Retirement Lifestyle. We're going to have a link to it, but you can just remember Retirement Lifestyle. Go check out his show, too, because do you hear his voice? It's like liquid gold. You got to hear it. Okay. If you've got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, please tell us about it. Email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one final thing, if you like what we do, do something for us. Subscribe to our podcast. It only takes you a second, but it helps us. So if you like us, don't just sit there. Show us and subscribe. I am Stacy Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. I'm Pam and I'm Eric Golson. <laughs> and I'm Eric Golson. Okay. I, I told you guys at the beginning. It, it's okay though. That was very cute. No, no, we have to no, we have to shoot the whole show again. Sorry guys. <laughs> Hey, folks, thanks for hanging out with us. We're going to see you right here next time. <laughs>